So let's look at Malachi chapter 1, and uh, we're going to go into verses uh, 6 through uh, 14. And I'm engaging and calling this chapter, uh, the overall theme of the book, remember, is God's unchanging love. Love, because Malachi 1.2 says, I have loved you, says the Lord, to a real bunch of rascals. I mean, these guys are, uh, <laughs> sometimes we think they're worse than what we are. Uh, but he still says, I've loved you. That's an amazing thing. With so much description in this book of how bad they were, how far off the mark they went, God still says he loved them. How about that for people who say, oh, I don't know, <laughs> I've sown a lot of oats in my day, wild oats, and I don't know if I deserve the love of God. It's not a question of deserving. It's a question of a gift. And then in Malachi 3.6, he says, I, the Lord, change not. Two major verses that sort of controlled the whole book. God's unchanging love. God's unchanging love. So last week, we did the first five verses. A call uh, to uh, uh, love, uh, 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 to receive the, and respond to the love of God. Now this week, it's uh, in, in this message here, a call to be genuine, a call to be authentic. I don't know what happened to us, but I'm old enough to remember when World War II was finally finished. Uh, I grew up a depression baby, didn't know that it was depression, didn't know that everyone was in such sad state, but God was good to us. We uh, farmed and worked hard and got just enough to buy groceries and to pay off 20 people who were doing piecework and working with us and buy gas and uh, some fertilizer and pay the taxes and uh, had enough uh, money. I think we had an A ration card in the back of the car. You had a little sticker that said how much gas you could get. Some of you are old enough to remember that. And uh, then the day came when they blew the whole thing apart and they say the war was over. War was over. Uh, what a joy that was. But during those years, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, church was packed. We had people from we had never seen before. But uh, they all came and said, pray, my son is in the service. My dad is in the service. My mom is in the service. Or if mom was in the service, mom was Rosie the Riveter. And she was out working, putting planes together. Uh, but that day came, and it seemed like pandemonium broke out. Uh, we were out playing, and all of a sudden we heard, Sirens in the afternoon, 
and we were out in the farm, but even as far down as the farm, we knew there was commotion of some sort because uh, uh, God had finally given us a peace. But then uh, attendance dropped off at church. Uh, late 50s, beginning 60s. Why, by 60s, we had another generation was old enough to remember the days of the war or what had taken place, and they were doubting everyone. They said there are phonies everywhere. Why, there are phonies in the church, there are phonies in the school, there's phonies in government, and... Uh, they said, no one is real. No one is real. But God here, too, gave a call to his people, Israel. Hey, I want you to be genuine. I want you to be the real deal. And so he calls them. But who does he speak to? Amazingly, this had also gone off into the clergy. From that day, the middle 60s, Actually, beginning 60s, uh, there was, uh, first of all, the book on situational ethics, and which said there's not a right or wrong, but it all depends on the situation. If you, uh, if you feel that way, do it. And that was written on train trestle tracks and everywhere. Do it. Do it. And uh, that was real authenticity, when you really acted according to your feelings. But who was listening to what God was saying? Was there any truth? No. Truth did not. From that day to this, we've had a great hiatus on truth. Truth-telling and truth desire. Matter of fact, we have a man running for president who said, uh, I only put up with the facts. Uh, I don't believe in the truth. <laughs> facts and truth are opposite. Uh, I thought they were supposed to be the same thing. So this passage is a beautiful passage. I think it's worth our reading it so that you get the flavor of it. It's not that bad. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. I'm reading from the NIV, uh, but you can uh, get this. It's basically the same in all the translations. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I'm father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, who, us? How have we shown contempt for your name? There comes that innocent kind of act again. Verse 7, you place defiled food on my altar. But they again say, who, us? Have we defiled you by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. That's how. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong 
Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? All that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising uh, to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you, you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it's defiled, and of the food, it is contemptible. And you say, who, us? What a burden. And you sniff at it uh, contemptuously, says Lord Almighty. When you bring injured and crippled or diseased animals or offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. What a text. What a text. These prophets, uh, though they were God's uh, spokesmen, uh, they didn't mince any words. <laughs> they told it like it was. <clears throat> and so, I want to talk to you about four areas that show a lack of credibility. This will be our outline for today. Four areas, and I'm using interrogative what. What are the areas in which we lack genuineness, authenticity, credibility, or just plain truthfulness? The first one is in what we profess, our profession. And he's going to call us on that. And then verses 8 and 9, in our gifts. And it's not that we don't give gifts. We give gifts that we could easily have done away with. Uh, it's spare change. And in our service, verses 10 through 12, but in the midst of that, he explodes. He says, enough is enough is enough already. I've just heard boom, 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 boom. Disaster, disaster, complaint, complaint, charge, charge. And, and he breaks out in that beautiful verse 11 in, in which he just says, uh, my name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting sun. And I'm telling you, in every place, and that must have blown the minds of every Jewish person. Every place? No, 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 no. There's only one place. In Jerusalem, in the temple. That's where you've got to go. But now, he says, I'm telling you, God's work is so great 
it's going to extend from east to west where the sun gets up to where the sun goes down. He said, I want you to know in every place it's going to be great and incense, which always was a picture in the Bible. Look at Revelation. It's a picture of the prayers of the saints, prayers to God for one another, prayers to God that he would move the nations. He said, incense and pure offering will be brought to his name. And why? I'll tell you, because God's name will be great among the nations. So God anticipates, in spite of what he's dealing with, after all, he has pledged himself, and in a way, he's stuck. He's stuck with Israel. He said to Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I'll make your nation great. I will also give you a seed through which I will come and my son will rule and reign for eternity. Uh, but I, I, uh, I, I want you to be the means of blessing all the nations upon the face of the earth. That was the charge. That was the command. That was the vision God had given to Israel. But he wasn't stuck with that. No, no, because he's looking forward to a day when the name of God, by the way, the name is not just the vocable, but it is his doctrine, it is his character, it is his attributes, everything belonging to him. The name of God stands for that whole amalgam of theology that we uh, receive from the Lord. So he says, it's going to be great among not just Israel, the nations. So God's looking for all of the 214 nations, is that what we have in the UN now? Something like that. Uh, 200 plus nations that every one of them would have representatives who would, by the love of God and the grace of God, have come and joined that great fellowship of his name. And where is prayer going to be offered? Every place. Not just in Jerusalem. Not just in the temple. No, no, no. Not just in the incense altar there before the Holy of Holies. No, no. I'm telling you, in every place. And a Jewish person's mind must have exploded. Hey, all these years We've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's been saying, here, here, here. This is the place. Now God says, yeah, but I purpose this for every place. Every place uh, it will come. So uh, that's the theme here. And so in the, uh, Malachi 1, 6 through 14, we have the focal point. That's verse 6. I always like to ask, where is the pivot point for the whole text we're reading? If it's going to be a paragraph, of the paragraph. If it's three paragraphs, then where is the one sort of place where the whole thing comes together? I think it's verse 6. Sons, he gives a proverb, and I'll put it in proverbial terms. Sons generally honor fathers. 
but if I'm father, where is my honor? That's the question. That's the question. We begin our prayers, our father who art in heaven. Yeah, but where is his honor? Thanks for the title, but what about the due respect that comes with that? So we want to talk about these areas, areas in our lives, and this will help us with the prophetic view. We're going to see here uh, in the next slide uh, the way in which the eye of the prophet is uh, uh, God speaks to the prophet, and what he sees and looks out on is... Uh, the divine word that is given here, uh, first of all. And with that come the nearer fulfillments. So this is why this word was addressed to the people in 450 B.C. Uh, in Israel. Those are the nearer fulfillments. That's the then part of it. But there's an unknown gap that exists between this book and the final fulfillment. For this book is going to go on to talk about how God will close up on history. We've already had a hint of it in verse 11. He expects the salvation of men and women to be tremendous, overwhelming in its number. Matter of fact, so great is the number in many of the nations that have been deprived for so many years, like China, that a new edict went out last week. And that is, uh, 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 village officials must respond twice a day, morning and evening, the number of Christians in their midst in every town. Uh, because they expect there will be people that join them in the afternoon. And of course they should be worried, because already what was at the close of World War II, only in the thousands, say 60,000 or somewhere in that range of believers, now there are probably 120 million believers in China. How many communists are there in China? 30 million. Now you understand what happens when you got 120 million over against 30 million? There are problems. There are problems. So they want to know twice a day who are the Christians here. Uh, it'll be a, and of course, uh, it, it, I'll finish that sentence. It will be really difficult for the church. But the church has had that all along. They're kind of used to that. <laughs> Some of them think they're in the tribulation uh, because of the stuff they've been through. But put that along with what is happening in the Islamic nations. You would think that the second largest religion in the world, Islam or Mohammedanism, is uh, 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 growing, and it is. And as a matter of fact, one of the places where it's growing is in these United States with bored people who made 
empty professions of faith, and uh, they're now being coaxed over. Uh, I go by a mosque and, uh, uh, on the way home every day, and as I go by it every time, I pray for the salvation of the 100 families represented that are here in Sheboygan and Manitowoc. There was a doctor in Manitowoc that purchased the property, and uh, uh, right there in Salt Trail Road is uh, a mosque. So we don't have to go to missions. They've come to us. <laughs> They're in our backyard. So there are 100 families. And Lord, I pray every time, down the road, back the road. Lord, may salvation come to that place. And may they find your loving word. So uh, it goes on then to the uh, back there now and to the then, which is the uh, future. I think Brian reversed it here. I would put where he has then in that circle, now and then. First John chapter 2. Now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Now and then. That's the very thing. So already are we redeemed? Yes. Already do we have the benefits of the fruits of the Spirit? Yes. Do we have them all? No. So what is now compared to then? Piddling compared to what it shall be then. So we will see the ultimate fulfillment in Christ that will come. And what links together them is one sense. So frequently people have said they're double meanings. They are getting at this, but that's not the proper way to do it. The one word seed, for example, has both a singular and has a compound or generic meaning, just like the word offspring. But to translate some of those promises into the descendants of the Lord, that would be wrong. Descendants is plural. Seed is not. Offspring is not. But descendants is plural. You say, but they're synonyms. Not so. Because one is plural, and the other stands for the one who can represent the whole group. So that's part of what we'll be talking about. Let's go to our first call to be authentic, and that's in our profession. Uh, that's the theme that comes up here uh, uh, first of all. And I want to uh, say there's a creed. We say, and what we profess, we honor God, we fear God. Those are the two professions that are made, and they're two professed relationships. He's Father, and he's Lord, or Master. Uh, but the charge is here, no, no. If God is that one whom we honor and say he's our Father, where then is God's honor? That's what this prophet was saying as he was trying to call the people back to revival and repentance. 
And that's what we need in our particular day. Short of a revival, in by which I mean we as the church of God would say, I repent. I turn back to you, Lord. I've been wandering, and I've been half for you and half not for you. And God wants the whole deal. And I think that has to come from the church, first of all. Short of that, I do think our time uh, uh, in the joy of what we are enjoying right here and now today will be very short. You watch the culture changing enormously, and it could flip very quickly with just a few changes in the culture. I dare not even suggest what they might be. And where's God's fear? The fear of God is used, same word, Yahweh, in Hebrew, but it means being scared, okay, that's one meaning, but meaning number two is uh, an attitude of heart which is out of respect for the majesty of the person of God, we do what he says. That's fear number two. So Exodus 20, 20 says, fear not, only fear the Lord. Say, so, excuse me, <laughs> are, are you undecided what it is? No, the first word, don't be scared, but rather put your full confidence and trust in the Lord. Fear not. Only fear the Lord, uh, if you can understand that uh, kind of theme here. So what's his problem then? It's God's problem, and that is there's an unnaturalness to this disobedience. Uh, look at how much God has done for them and for us. We are blessed people, one of the blessed nations upon the face of the earth of the 214 or 220 uh, nations that are upon the face of the earth. And if we think little or put little emphasis on the reputation and the name of God, then it is like offering to God polluted sacrifice. For that's what he says when they protest and say, who, us? <laughs> We're Israelis. We're the only people that believe in God. Yeah, I know what your creed is. I know what your profession is and what you're saying. But he says, how about it when you place defiled food on my altar? Now, what makes that food defiled? Two ways. Either... It is impure. God wanted that which was totally set apart to him and without any blemish. So you couldn't take a sick cow. You couldn't take a, uh, uh, a cow that was uh, limping or was lame or a one that had a disease. <laughs> you can't take it up to the uh, uh, temple door and tied on the temple door and say, uh, Lord, uh, I wish I could make more, but this is all that I have. 
uh, when I had a good cow at home, I gave this one. And I say, Lord, uh, you can make these things whole. Heal the cow, and he's yours. <laughs> but uh, uh, the Bible says no deal, no deal. It's, it's the wrong type of thing altogether. Or a second way we can defile the food is by having impure heart. The cow was okay, but the person that gave it wasn't properly lined up with the Lord. I was out of sorts with the Lord. And I knew it. I knew it. I couldn't sing. I only sang half-heartedly. I couldn't give. I only gave half-heartedly. I couldn't do anything. And there was the... Everybody talked about the joy of the Lord. I didn't have the joy of the Lord. And he says, hey, you know where this starts? With leadership. You priest. And he goes right to the heart of it. He doesn't fool around. He cuts right to the heart of the situation. And uh, uh, so he said, you bring blind animals, verse 8. Isn't that wrong? You bring uh, crippled animals. Isn't that wrong? You bring diseased animals. Isn't that wrong? You want to get the tax credit. So you bring it. And he said, I know. I know you. I know you like a book. I can read you, says the Lord. And then he said, hey, a little bit of irony. Why don't you try that on your governor? No. And say, I'll write a letter to Uncle Sam. Dear Uncle, I've had a bad year. Uh, and uh, I wish I could pay you what you want in taxes. But this is all that I have. Uh, and it's a change left over from a little bit. I hope uh, you can find some way to use that. Oh, by the way, there are an awful lot of potholes on our street. Would you fill them in? And the school system is in shambles. Thanks much. Sincerely, you know, he said, you do that? Like fun. Like fun. You'd never do that at all. And the governor wouldn't take it. Now, if the governor won't take it, what do you think about God? That's his point. This guy is rough. I mean, I don't know if he, this should not be a candidating sermon. This would be bad. This would be bad. <laughs> all right, okay. So he said, uh, now implore the Lord, verse 9, to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? God says, I have loved you. You've got to remember, that's the banner in this conference. Uh, the everlasting love of God. I have loved you. But on the other hand, I love you so much, I'm going to talk to you like, I shouldn't say this here, but like a Dutchman's uncle. Uh, that's wrong, isn't it, Nancy? Yeah, uh, like a uh, uh, sauerkraut's uncle. Yeah, okay, okay. That'd be the other side there. So uh, uh, that was the, the first uh, of the issues here. A second call to be authentic is verses 8 to 9, and that we've looked at with the 
are gifts. And uh, G. Campbell Morgan said, the Lord judges a gift by what the gift cost the offerer who placed it on the altar rather than the intrinsic worth. Why do we go back to, uh, I had this in my uh, thing here, uh, where it mentioned this same thing in the book of Luke, where uh, uh, Jesus is uh, here uh, with the disciples. He sat them over against the offering box and as the people were bringing things together, uh, he looked out, on, and here comes a widow woman, and she just has two widow's mites. You can still buy them on the market. They're very, very small. I mean, they'd only be about a third of a penny size. They're very, very small. She drops them in, and Jesus says, hey, guys, that woman just gave more than anybody. And the disciples said, <laughs> I mean, this is marginal, but I'm sure they said, <laughs> is this new math? Uh, how can that woman just drop these things in and, and she gives more? There, there, there are a lot of dudes here that walked up. and I mean, they put in a, a good offering. But why? He said, that woman put in everything she had. That's it. She doesn't have anything more. She gave more. But more than that, she gave herself first. That's why we urge that in the church, when the offering basket is placed, it would really be good if instead of putting something in the plate, we jump in the plate ourselves first. Now, this would put undue pressure on the ushers. But uh, you understand my point. It's a figurative point. And, and that is, we need to give ourselves before we give. What is there available for God? G. Campbell Morgan is right. And that passage in Luke, which I couldn't find, is uh, in the Bible. Uh, a third uh, a call here, and that's a call to be authentic in our service. Verses 10 and 12, with that great verse in the middle, uh, verse 11. And he begins by saying, oh, 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 how I wish that someone, and if you'll excuse me, I'm going to use some uh, harsh language here, but I think you've got to see it. Only we would have the guts enough to shut the temple door, to put a sign over the front of the church, close, for lack of uh, interest. Just put the sign up here. Oh, you say, <laughs> that would be terrible. People in the community would read that. Of course, they would read that. Of course. But God says, they know it already. They can see how you respond. And if this is root, routine sort of stuff, and you go out of rote, and oh, it's Sunday morning. I don't know if I'll make the first service or not. You know, and, and just come in drudgery. This text says, no, 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 no. I really wish, first of all, you had the gumption enough. Okay, there, that's so better. That you would not light 
the fires on the altar in vain. 38 times the Bible uses that word in vain, in vain. No purpose, no goal. Don't take the name of the Lord uselessly. I've tried to have a ministry over the years that I've said to our pastors, uh, I said, when you go to uh, offer extemporary, extemporaneous prayer, as so many of us do, offering extemporaneous prayer, uh, we are uh, sort of uh, implementing as we go along. And so we fall at times into a bad habit of using the Lord's name as a pause, almost like a comma. I won't use the Lord's name to illustrate it, but I'll use my name. It was like as if you're talking to me. And Walt, and Walt, you know Walt, that Walt, as far as I can see Walt, that uh, Walt, and I say, hey, take it easy, it's my name. <laughs> you're wearing it out. Um, and it doesn't have any purpose. What use is my name in the sentence? So God said, when you go to pray to me, don't use my name as kind of a pause while you're thinking of the next phrase. Just stop and let there be silence. That would be better. This word in vain here, he uses it here. I wish you had the gumption enough to shut the temple doors so that you wouldn't light the altar fires for nothing, for zilch, for no purpose, no goal. I'm not pleased with you, says Lord Almighty. This same Lord who says, I have loved you. You've got to remember that. You've got to remember that. Only the God who loves you will say that. Only family members who really love and tenderly say, hey, do you know there's something I, I need to share with you? Oh my, that's hard. But that comes out of love, if it's done in love. And I will not accept the offering from your hands. God says, I hear your prayers. I hear, your, see your giving. I hear your teaching. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day when my name will be great now and then. And he said, it's going to be explosive. My name will be so great among the nations. I'm telling you, all the way from where the sun gets up in the far east, all the way over to the west as it goes over in every place. Coming day, well, not just in Jerusalem, my name's going to be offered in every place, King of kings and Lord of lords. We had a great ensemble of songs this morning. Mary Beth does a beautiful job, and I thanked her again. A king of kings and Lord of lords. As a matter of fact, I think after good sermons, got to be great, a song of response from the people of God. So what did we say? Uh, hail him, uh, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And uh, so he says, this is the third, fourth time in one chapter, my name will be great. Talking about MAGA hats. 
how about this? The greatness of God that goes way beyond any sort of greatness we've ever seen. But one last one here uh, before I get carried away. A call to be authentic in our time. Verses 13 through 14. Um, the tedium, the tedium, the bare boredom of worthless worship uh, as a waste of time. Oh, for the singing of God's, you can tell it. You can tell when God's people have been ministered to, when they come together and are ready to sing. Singing is not preliminaries. It's not prelims at all. It's part of worship. So it says, so people of God, what do you think of him? What do you think of him? Praise him, all creatures here below. That's all. Just sort of mumble it. Nah, 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 nah. It ought to be with full throat. And where was their waste and tedium uh, seen? Uh, he says, uh, you profane my word by saying the Lord's table is defiled and with food it's contemptible. Verse 12, and you say, what a burden. You sniff at it, says the Lord. When you bring injured and crippled and diseased animals and offer them a sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? No, no. Let me expand this principle. You think I'm only talking to priests? No. You think I'm only talking to Israelites? No, no. Verse 14. Cursed is any cheat, any ripoff artist who has an acceptable male. You have it. And you vow it. And then you say, eh, second thoughts, I better do this. I'm telling you, I'm a great king. I'm a great king, says the Lord. And my name is to get respect. It's awesome. It ought to be feared, and it will be feared. As a matter of fact, you could translate this in the future. It will be feared among all the nations. King of kings and Lord of lords, God of gods, creator of the whole universe, and now coming back to restore the whole thing. In the Isaiah, uh, just go back a few books to the prophet Isaiah chapter 2. Uh, and here he talks about a day in which uh, there is coming the whole work of God uh, in a very, very uh, beautiful way. Uh, he said, uh, in the last days, it's now all the way up to the end of that, uh, now and then, a little chart I told you, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. God expects the third temple to be set up. His text directs us to think that. And you should know that all the receptacles and all of the uh, robes and all the accoutrements, even the 
little boys who should be trained for priesthood were set aside in 1999. And mothers gave their children, like Hannah did, only this was earlier than Hannah, on the day they were born. They wanted them for exclusive training and bringing up. So the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will scream to it. You've not gotten the chance to go to Israel yet. Your time is coming. Uh, all nations will scream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. What did they call the name of that mountain? Mount Moriah. Moriah. Nancy has a great-grandson. Uh, granddaughter, whose name Mariah. Mori, M-O-R-I, is my teacher. And Yah is the shortened form of the Lord. My teacher is the Lord. And that no wonder, there's coming day in which we're all going to go to Jerusalem and be taught. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. This is Isaiah 2. And the law will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. How about that? Boy, it's about time we got a good court. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hook. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. No more war, no more war, no, no. This text says we're looking forward to that day. What day? When the Lord who is the teacher will be the teacher as we all go up to be taught. So you can expect good teaching at that time. How about conclusions? Uh, our God is a great king who cannot be likened to any substitute. He said in verse 5, said in verse 11 twice, says in verse 14, come on. You talk about greatness. Here it is. The word for majesty uh, in English. A lack of authenticity and credibility in our worship will lead to dishonoring God and what we profess, what we give, and how we serve him, and in the time we devote to worshiping and serving him. Wow. And thirdly, the fear of God is the beginning of everything. He said that Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, Psalm 111, is the beginning of understanding. So, so questions for discussion and thought. We should go on from here. Let's see, do you have one more slide? Uh, yeah. And that is, what are the signs of evangelical boredom in the church today? Can you detect any of the signs? What countermeasures are needed to meet such attitudes? Uh, that's a great one. That's a great one. I'm telling you, there are some places 
you can't stop the outpouring of praise and hallelujahs to the living God. There are some churches, it is like a, an infection. You just go amongst them, and already you sense that uh, in their midst. There are others, though, in which it seems, oh my, they've been through this before. Been through it before. Secondly, what are some of the ways we profane God's name and pollute his altars? It's a thought question. It's for reflection. What are some of the ways? which we demean, belittle, take down, put on a lower level. Say, in time. What about the time I spend in actual Bible study and worship of God, both in the church and in the home? Put that over against a good, and this is not to say a Christian shouldn't, be involved in entertainment, but go to a ballpark and you sit on rather hard benches, uh, at least used to, uh, and it goes on for two, three hours, and then, praise the Lord, there are extra innings. <laughs> I've never had anyone when I've preached say, encore, encore. <laughs> okay, it's me preaching, but uh, at any rate, I... I, I've never heard that with anyone. Never heard it with anyone. But we do it in the ballpark. I went to the Chicago Opera, used to enjoy it, Tuesday nights. Uh, we would go to the opera, and it begins 30, 8.30, 9.30, 10.30, 11.30. The fat woman hasn't sung yet. <laughs> And, and it was just going on and on. And finally she sang. And we clapped and clapped and clapped and clapped. They came back. They thought we wanted more. And I didn't get out of there until quarter after 12. And I had to teach the next day. Well, at any rate. Thirdly, describe what is involved in the universal kingship of our Lord. How do we offer a pure sacrifice to God? I think it's being genuine. God just wants us to be the real deal. We came from very little. God has given us everything we have. It's all Lendley's biggest program you've ever seen of Lendley's. God put it into our hands. Now, a little bit of gratitude, please. He's a magnificent God. He wants all of us. And I'm telling you the truth, when we give him all, only then do we find fulfillment. Do I begin to come and say, eh, that's how I'm supposed to be. Because I see it now reflected in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A call to be real. A call to be credible. Wow. Next week, a call to totally love God. Uh, this one 
is going to be really interesting because as we look at chapter 2, 1 through 16, I think we're going to begin to see a number of things. <laughs> I've got to go through next week's lesson in which uh, the lips of a priest, verse 7 in chapter 2, are supposed to preserve knowledge. Uh, they're supposed to give instruction. They're supposed to be messengers of the Lord. But those priests in that day missed it. Missed it. 325,000 churches in the United States. I'm going to guess. That's all. I can't do more. But I'm going to guess 150,000 of them are messing up and come under the judgment of this verse. You didn't instruct. You didn't teach. Matter of fact, you taught what was wrong. And God says, I'm holding you responsible. And then we also got to go through uh, another thing. The Lord's altar has tears on it from what? Spouses who've been jilted. And he said, there are tears all over. And he said, you've forgotten your covenant. You made a covenant with that young man or young lady in front of the whole church. You wanted a church wedding. And before God, because Proverbs 2 and this passage says, marriage is a covenant made also threesome. It's not twosome, threesome. Man, the woman, and God. The man and woman may get out of sorts and say, I want out. How do you get God out of it, though? That's what text talking about. And yet, and yet, I have loved you, says the Lord. He does? In spite of all that stuff, that junk? Yes. Yes. And then even, verse 16, I hate divorce. Well, <laughs> I thought I'd warn you uh, before next week so you can see it. But don't forget, this is a book in which God says, uh, I change not. And because I don't change, you, Israel, are not consumed. And because God doesn't change, those of us here in the free church in Sheboygan, we're not consumed. God loves us, loves us dearly. And he changes not. What a magnificent text for us this day and age. Well, there's a lot that we can give thanks to God for, but uh, I must tell you, this is a powerful book. It really is. But even more powerful God. And it's all about him, not about us. So let's not mourn each other's faults. Let's not mourn our own faults. But let's give thanks to the God of gods and Lord of lords. Why? Because he's great. He's great. 
and wants his name to be great, and wants his doctrine to be great, and wants his attributes to be great, and wants his success in the publication of the gospel and the reality of the joy that he meant for men and women to be great too as well. What a wonderful Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, sorry about it. I, I, I got to preach this morning rather than teaching. But what are you going to do with a passage like this? So let's give thanks to the Lord. Yeah, comment? Slow down. The, go back to the conclusion there, if you would, please. Yeah? Which one? Number two. A lack of authenticity and credibility in our worship will lead to dishonoring God in what we profess. So we have a creed on the one hand, and we have performance on the other. And performance sometimes, lots of times, is lower than creed. We believe much better than we practice. And in the time we devote to worshiping and serving God. What a day we're living in where we have so many opportunities too to catch up on our understanding of the Word of God. Every phone is now tied in with all kinds of lessons you can get from all over the world. You can get a whole seminary education on your phone. So these are great days. Okay, let me pray, and I'll do what John said, loose you and let you go. Father, thank you for your goodness or your blessing. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the straightforwardness of it. Now help us to receive it because sometimes it makes us mad. And we can only say to you, we're sorry, Lord. We should receive it from you because you really love us. And you are not changing. So you've always had the same rules. So help us to live so this brings so that it brings huge respect and fear and honor to a great king, a great God, a great gospel, and a great privilege that has been extended to all of us. We pray this in your wonderful name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you much.